Welcome to the Expansion Candidate Podcast, where we talk all things Big 12 football. This is our first episode. We have Coach Cody Alexander joining us. Coach Alexander was a grad assistant at Baylor um, under Phil Bennett and Art Bryles. Learned the Phil Bennett defense that helped Baylor win their first Big 12 title. Currently, he's the secondary coach at Midlothian High School. And he's the author of Cautious Aggression, Defending Modern Football, and also uh, the website matchquarters.com, where you can read up on his schemes and tactics for stopping modern spread offenses. Uh, Coach, welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. A lot of your background is in Texas high school football, which is, I wish I had the numbers, but probably more than half of the players in the Big 12 come out of Texas high school football. Besides the fact that Texas is a massive state, what makes Texas high school football so good, and, and why does everyone want to get Texas high school players? Um, I, I'm actually originally from Missouri, and the first thing I wanted to do when I graduated college was get to get to Texas because that's where the best football is. And and being being an outsider that has been brought in, you know, I feel like I have a unique perspective of uh, why Texas is so successful and why they develop players. I think the number one biggest thing is the athletic period. It's something that you don't see in other states. They dedicate a whole period just for athletics, um, where a lot of coaches use that for extra film time, extra time to work out in the weight room. And it, you can use that time during the off season to kind of develop your schemes and your players within the football program. So it's, it's very much like a college program. Um, the second thing would be we, we play on an NCAA regulation field. So when our players, they go to college, they're playing on the same field that they played in high school. They've seen it a thousand times. They practice on it a thousand times. So the, the angles and the distributions and, and kind of the same tactics that you see in college, you're going to then have that reflected uh, at the high school game. I think those are the two biggest reasons why Texas is kind of it when it comes to developing talent. Uh, the thing with the hash marks has got to be huge too, just because that's such a defining part of college football is, is the hash marks and how that changes up formations and where strength is and, and all that. Right. Oh yeah. I mean, uh, I'm go to a regular high school field and the boundary is so tight. Uh, so a lot of people use that extra space and a lot of, a lot of plays and a lot of formations are designed to be in the field. Um, as you start getting closer to uh, the goal, the goalposts with your hashes, it kind of opens up um, some tactics, and as you kind of play in the middle of the field, and so for that, as it, for offenses, especially for spread offenses, that that helps because now they can use 100% of the field, and they're not just kind of pigeonholed into using uh, one side. Another thing you hear about in Texas high school football a lot, and I don't know how unique it is to this state, but is the um just the intense development within programs from middle school on you hear about the major powerhouse schools will uh, choose their middle school staff and, and develop kids in the same system over, you know, a decade of development. Is that, is that common in Texas high school football? And is that common outside of the state from your experience? Um, I would say it's, it's a very Texas thing. Uh, you know, if you get into a, 
a, a great program. Young, as a young coach, they're going to put you at the level. You're going to move up as a middle school coach. You'll then become the middle school coordinator. Once you become the middle school coordinator, you'll move up to the JV staff, and from the JV staff, then you'll move up. What that allows coaches to do, uh, and especially in uh, an educational setting, is if they lose a coach to another program, a coach has to move, uh, they lose a coordinator, then they have everything in-house. And so all, really all they have to do is replace a middle school coach. Uh, you see this really in a lot of the powerhouse programs. The large 6A programs kind of have the infrastructure to do that, and people are willing to sit at the middle school level uh, for a while uh, to kind of build up. But that has traditionally been the Texas model for building coaches uh, is you start at the middle school level, you learn the offense, uh, defense, whatever, and you're coaching both at the middle school level. You kind of get your feet wet. Then you become the coordinator, and then the next thing you know, you're you're at the varsity level. So, how much of an effect does Texas's intense development have on Big Twelve tactics, where most of the players are coming out of these environments? What are some of the things you see in Big Twelve football that where you're like, this is a this is directly related to all these kids coming out of Texas? I think the biggest position that you see Texas uh, influencing all of college football is at the quarterback level. Um, I think because you get the spring ball, um, you have these programs where these kids are playing the spread from the time they enter eighth grade. A lot of the peewee leagues, especially in the the one-horse town schools, uh, I mean, they're playing the same dumbed-down offense that that the high school does. Uh, so you're seeing these kids and these quarterbacks grow up in this system and Texas bought into the spread early. And so what the reflection of that is, is in big 12 play, most of your recruits are coming from the state of Texas. And so a lot of them are running the spread and they're running things. I think it's kind of more of a vice versa. The, the big 12 culture reflection of the, the big 12 culture. Um, and I think you see that in Alabama with SEC, and they were in more of a power football. A lot of the Southeast United States runs more power football schemes. So I think the region really reflects the, the, the college atmosphere because that's where they're going for their information. But where Texas really uh, influences the country is at the quarterback position, just because you have quality coaches here. These kids are playing on NCAA-level fields. So the field and the game is playing very similar to what they're getting at the college level. Would you say in Texas then that the colleges follow the high schools more or do the high schools follow the colleges in terms of I style, think, philosophy? I think, it, I think it goes both ways. Um, I think it's more uh, – I think what you're seeing at the high school level, you have such a unique difference. You're recycling players about every two to three years. So – you have to you have to kind of get, be a little bit more creative with your schemes, and I think what you're seeing is the base the base offense is a reflection of the Big Twelve culture of spread. Um, where you're seeing the tweaks and kind of the uniqueness is at the high school level. You know, you may not have a quarterback that can throw the vertical pass, and so that I think that's why you don't see a Bryles offense in the high school level is just because you can't get four receivers that are going to run you know, 10, 10, five or better in the hundred. And so you see, okay, how are we going to adjust that? I think that's why you see more and more coaches going to the air raid with crossing routes and creating high percentage throws over the middle. 
um, and using power run schemes and zone run schemes to kind of really get the defense sucked up. So it's really a, a, a unique relationship. Um, but I think the high school level is where you have a little bit more experimentation and the college level is more or less the base offense. Now, with all these spread offenses in the Big 12, you still see a lot of that air raid, actually. It seems like a lot of the Big 12 teams still want to create the easy passes and avoid having to uh, always have 10-5 guys running down the field. What would you say is the the most challenging aspect of defending Big 12 offenses? We've seen the league chew up so many defensive coordinators. Um, what, what would you say is, is the, the main reason for that? It's the spacing. I mean, I, I think that and what the air raid offense does is it takes advantage of where, where you're bringing that extra cover down or that extra overhang. And, and all cover down is, it's just, it's your, it, it's your overhang. So you, in defense, you have two overhangs. Those are the players that are directly right outside the box that aren't part of the, the defensive line. Um, and those, those guys, and you hear like Don Brown talk about it at Michigan. Those those guys are the ones that make your offense work, your defense work, and they're the ones that challenge challenge the offense. Um, and what the air raid does is by bringing you know vertical, they stretch you vertically, and then they're going to cut somebody across the field while they're maybe giving a play action to to kind of suck that low hole player in. So whoever's in charge of that underneath in the middle which is usually your Mike linebacker that's the target that they're trying to get and they're trying to use crossing routes to really confuse the defense um, I think what you see in the big 12 is it's they play small ball and it's like in baseball where the teams like to bunt and steal bases I think and so they what do they go for they go for smaller faster players that well big 12 bought into that a long time ago uh, and and really was the first conference to really just go all in on the spread and what you see is you're going to see not necessarily smaller inside but you're going you're not going to see a bunch of power backs you're not going to see fullbacks and you're going to see a lot of 11 personnel and a lot of 10 personnel and it's just getting as much speed on the field as you can does this mean the end of the traditional mike linebacker for i mean we barely see that guy in the big 12 and we're starting to see him disappear a little bit from other leagues as well is, is that guy just going to disappear and play a different position or is there still we're we still going to see big thumpers in the middle of the field i think brian erlacher changed the game and his legacy won't be the tampa two it or just now the athletic mike i mean his, his legacy will go down this is what a the modern Mike linebacker is going to have to do. He's going to not only have to be able to plug the gap when they go two back, but then he's also going to have to cover down to the number three receiver and run down the field and, and at least have some underneath coverage. I think that right there is, is what hit the legacy that he will have. I mean, you can't be an a gap plugger anymore. Those guys are now package players. Those guys are now, you know, just kind of as unique as, as, like a third down specialist in the NFL. Um, I remember recruiting in the Big 12. Bennett came to me and was like, we've got to have a, line, a Mike. I don't care. It needs to be a Mike or a Will. Prefer a Will, but if we can find a Mike, then let's find one. And every time I bring him a Mike linebacker, it had the, the question was, can he cover in trips? Can he cover in trips? And I kept getting that over and over. And so as, as, as a young coach, you start learning that, okay, in our league especially, 
he has to be able to run. A, a Mike linebacker has to be able to run. Um, and he can't just be some big, thick kid that you live, leave in the middle of the field because what ends up that doing, you're now shackled to your Mike linebacker. Or you have to then sub him out. And against tempo, you're going to get taken advantage of. Yeah, and y'all's solution to that was a young man named Eddie Lackey. Is that right? Well, yeah, and he played with a linebacker. So what the off the deal with it is, if you're going to then have a hybrid mic, and you're 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 then going to also have to have a hybrid will. Though your will has to be more of a cover guy, but then he also has to play primarily in the box as the box fitter. So you become a league of hybrid players. And I think what you see, the Big 12 doesn't necessarily do great in bowl games. Um, they either are, are killing the team that they're playing or they're, you know, they're getting smoked. And, and the difference is in, in football in general is matchups. Big 12 defenses are designed to stop the spread. That's what they're designed to do. So when they go up against teams that are elite power teams and that are just big and can muscle you, um, you know, that's where you tend to see the Big 12 have, have trouble. But I will say this, TCU, as a true 4-2-5 team, very small team, beat Wisconsin in the Rose Bowl, uh, so, uh, which is at the time was like the perennial zone power team. So, I mean, if you do it right, you can do it. And on game a week situation you can do that so it's just interesting um go i think in the big 12 from the spread every week to then oh we've got to now defend an actual 21 power team and i think that's where you kind of see defensive coaches almost at like when you play the option you just don't know what to do one thing about those tcu teams that were so good that we haven't seen uh from the last year couple years teams is they had the guys like Tank Carter who could move and cover some at 230 pounds. And then the last couple of years when they've been kind of down, not bad, but down, they've been plugging in like 200 pound safeties at those positions. It seems like finding the guy who's big enough to, to plug in the middle when he has to, but fast enough to play in space is one of the challenges in the big 12 right now. Uh, where are these hybrid linebackers playing in high school are they playing middle linebacker or are they playing other positions and you have to teach them when they get to college there to be honest with you, i think they're playing they're playing either outside linebacker or they're playing a strong safety in high school and i think what you see in the big 12 is the development of the mike linebacker as a guy comes in and starts as an outside linebacker and then they develop him in the weight room and as soon as he gets big enough to handle the box then you insert him in the box. I mean, I think Bryce Hager is a great example of that for Baylor, especially when I was there. I mean, he was a young kid. He was light, and he had, you know, being in the box and having to be physical 100% of the time, that was something that was new to him, and, and that was a developmental process. But then finally his junior, senior year, that's when it kind of exploded for him. And I think you see that across the board in the Big 12 is as their linebackers mature, and they get those solid inside linebackers, especially at Mike and the Will. When those guys become juniors and seniors and they've matured and they finally understand box and how to play the box, but then also be in the past, that's when you see Big 12 defenses kind of explode is because they, they oh, man, they weren't very good last year, but what's, what's the difference between last year and this year? Wow, they're really good. Well, it's because their linebackers have matured and have gotten to the point where they understand pass distribution as well as run fit. 
that's just so much for a young guy to learn. I, I don't know if people fully realize, especially at the big schools like Texas and Oklahoma, they've always got four stars rolling in at middle linebacker, sometimes that have not played the position before. And then people are expecting them to be excellent as freshmen and sophomores, like you see at quarterback or other positions in the spread. And then they just look lost for years and years. Um, right. I, I think the problem, too, is like uh, uh, people need to understand now that uh, offense, especially in the spread, is so much defense, different than uh, defending the spread on defense. You know, in offense, you can come in young and play early. Um, and, and they can kind of hide hide you as they develop you, and then you become that complete player your junior, senior year on offense, and then that's when you really explode. Uh, but on defense, you have to be a total player now in the Big 12. You can't just be somebody that's an A-gap plugger and, oh, we can kind of spend a single high or we can kind of move around to hide you. I mean, in the Big 12 – they're going to find you, and then they're going to attack you, and they're going to get you in a one-on-one situation, and they're going to and they're going to score points. And I think in the Big Twelve, especially, that's the big transition of for a high school kids coming in on defense is you're going to get exposed, and you're going to have to live through that. And developing that is so crucial for being great on defense in the Big Twelve. So you've recently authored a book. I mentioned earlier, cautious aggression, defending modern football. Right. Uh, everybody, everybody can find it on Amazon in both uh, uh, paperback, right? Yes, paperback and it through paperback the and and Kindle. I I have the Kindle version. It's pretty great. Um, I can only imagine the paperbacks even better with the the illustrations and being able to keep it all on one page. But uh, what is the what is the philosophy that you got from Phil Bennett? that you see as being the solution to these kinds of problems that we're talking about? Uh, the biggest philosophy is one, eliminate fatals. You, you know, put the defense in a situation where you can put the offense in a box and you're, you're kind of challenging them on everything that they do. I think that was the biggest philosophy that I took away from him was understand your opponent and then try and eliminate that what they want to do from them and make them left-handed. And I think with the philosophy that's laid out in the book, especially with RPO teams at the high school level uh, and lower college level, you know, of just that simple kind of spread one-on-one stuff, you can eliminate a lot by, by the the structure of your defense. And, And to me personally, I just want, I just want, to be a smarter coach, and so I wrote the book to help help grow smarter coaches around the country. Yeah, one thing I've learned is that the one one way to make sure you understand something is to try and explain it to someone else, and then if you find yourself tripping over your own words, then maybe you need to think about it a little more. Right. I, I really wrote the book, at, you know, to be for me as a process for me. You know, I needed uh, the genesis of the book kind of came from my need to have some sort of a creative outlet. I, I, had, I went through a, a head coaching change in 2015, and I knew I wasn't I was to take a step back in terms of my role, but I needed that creative outlet. And so that was kind of what I've always believed the best way to learn is to teach. And like you said, if you can teach it and you can and you can talk about it fluidly, then you probably understand what 
for me, that was where I kind of got the idea for writing and starting the website and then eventually the book is I'm going to teach this so that way when I get my chance, again, to be in control of the defense, I'll, I will have basically a solid foundation and kind of no questions and I, I'll be ready instead of, you know, the fake it till you make it. Yeah. So which schools in the Big 12 do you see as best employing that philosophy of uh, limiting the space that spread teams have to work in? I really, I really like what um, Oklahoma State does with uh, Glenn Spencer. He's always given Baylor a hard time. If you go back to when, when has Baylor really struggled, his defenses have always given Baylor um, the biggest t- trouble. I think K-State well, with the limited amount of talent, and don't get me wrong, there's talented guys at case, um, but they are not a bus team. And by a bus team, I mean when they roll, they are not going to win pregame. When they come off the bus, you are not going to be intimidated. Um, but what they do with the structure of their defense and how they attack you and kind of, you know, kind of just kind of kill you with a thousand cuts on defense, I really think they have done such a tremendous job. Uh, and they give a lot of those teams trouble. You know, one team will score 60 points one week. They'll go play K-State, and next thing you know, they, they win the game or they, they're losing, and they've only scored 24 points. And I think uh, him uh, at Oklahoma State, Spencer, and then what they do at Can- uh, Kansas State, and then obviously I think Tony Gibson at West Virginia has always done a tremendous job out of the three down um, and eliminating the spread and kind of keeping that solid defensive structure. We are seeing the three down become more popular uh, in the book. Coach uh, A outlines a four down, f- four three over, four two five over defense. Um, but I do notice we're seeing a lot of the uh, three four defense emerging around the league. Uh, Oklahoma played with it for a few years, but they weren't great in it. Uh, West Virginia has been using it. Texas is moving to a to a three four. I, I've noticed it's pretty common in high schools as well, particularly the. Um, Three four with uh, two four eye techniques inside of the tackle and right. nose and nose guard. I know you've written a little bit about it. Uh, what are the advantages of, of that defense, and, and why are teams using that? Well, I think at the lower levels, uh, the answer is simple. I, at the high school level, usually the fastest man wins, the fastest team wins, and you still see teams that okay, I've got a guy that's faster than me. I'm going to run him aside. What what the Really what the B-gap control defense does out of the 3-4 and what you're seeing um, in, in college is, one, spread teams want to attack the B-gap. And I write that, in, I talk about that in the book, and that's one of the foundation principles of defending the spread is changing that open B-gap. Well, if you clog both of them, that now they don't have anywhere to go. Um, so that's one of the main things there. And then getting more speed on the field. I, at bottom line, speed kills. Um, if you're going to see four wide receivers, then, you know, that's what you need to have. You need to have more guys on the field that are that can match up to that. It gives you the flexibility of uh, having that extra cover guy to the boundary, especially with a three down. Um, and so it's more adaptive, I think, uh, against teams that are more pass heavy, which you see in the Big 12. And I think that's why you're seeing teams move more towards that. I think at the high school level, though, and uh, you're seeing more teams go to that because of the, uh, if you're going to attack me to the outside, I'm going to put somebody fast there that can match the guy in the backfield. 
What makes uh, your four down? What is the advantage of using that over that three four? What, what do you what do you see as the advantages of being able to have four guys down? Well, you have two you have two edge players. You have two force players on either side of the box, and I think what that does is uh, it kind of holds the offense contained, and it can, especially if you have um, defensive ends that that uh, can hold the, the perimeter. Um, I think it also allows you uh, to be more uh, adaptive. Um, three down doesn't have an adjuster. I've written about that on my website. It's tough for three down teams to play against 11 personnel teams that put a tight end on, in the box uh, and attach them. Uh, what ends up happening is they're overloaded to one side or they end up being ending up in a four down. Uh, so you're almost forcing uh, the defense as an offense, you're forcing the defense to do something they don't want to do, which is play four down, or you're getting them out of line just from the, from a formational standpoint. You can see that if you, if anybody wants to watch the Houston Cougars play Memphis last year, um, Memphis had a spread offense, but they played in a lot of, uh, single or double tight end sets. And, uh, Todd Orlando's Houston defense really struggled with it because the tight end was, uh, a lot of times he was just coming down and just clearing out linebackers because there was no one lined up over him. So he was just getting a free run as a blocker. And they ran the same play like uh, 15 times for like 150 yards or something, just doing that over and over again before Houston could figure it out. Well, I remember, I mean, I remember being in uh, staff meetings talking about what what we were going to do to a, a defense, you know, just talking about overall, hey, this is what our offensive philosophy is this week, or talking to my buddies on the offensive side. Uh, when we play a three-down team, uh, they loved it. I, they, they, hey, we know that we're going to be able to use our tight ends. Uh, and, and I think, again, that's what you see Bryles going from in RG, uh, you know, kind of that pre-RG3 era of his offense of, they tried to use an H back, you know, but they kind of didn't. They really didn't use one, and then all of a sudden, you have that explosion of eleven and twenty personnel in their offense, and going away from more ten personnel sets. And I think a lot of that has to do with how defenses attack a tight end. Um, and as teams were trying to go three down against their ten personnel, like I said, to get more speed on the field. Okay, well, I'll put a tight end in there now, and now I'm going to watch how you adjust, and I'm going to take advantage of your adjustment. So I think you see when teams especially tempo teams, uh, a lot of good defensive coordinators like to go with a four down because it just gives you that even box. And the, the secondary allows you to adjust to almost the same formation. And having that extra D lineman in there also allows you to adjust to those extra gaps. I think the issue you see in the high school level uh, and at some college levels is D line is a premium nowadays. And they just don't make human beings like that uh, that are all over the place. And so I think what you're seeing is if a team has a lack of defensive line, they're willing to give up that uh, to have and kind of use more line movement and get their more hybrid players out there to defend the spread. I would say there's a lot of criticisms of Big 12 defenses that I don't think are particularly fair or valid. But one thing I would say is that the quality of defensive linemen in the Big 12 is just not the same as in the Big 10 or the SEC and I think a lot of that is just that it's a smaller, the recruiting area for the Big 12 is smaller, and there's just not as many of those big athletic kids within the Big 12 region. Well, I think, too, you're going to always lose kids out of state recruiting, and everybody in America 
comes and recruits Texas. They're going to send at least one person from their staff to recruit Dallas and to recruit Houston. And I think what you're seeing is a lot of these players are moving to other divisions. And and so you're right. Uh, There's a kind of this, uh, you know, it's not like they're shooting fish in a barrel and only Texas kids are staying in Texas or the Big 12. I mean, everybody in the country is coming. And so you're getting this kind of, uh, kind of this flattening of the talent where there's just not a lot of it going all to the Big 12. And also, too, the Big 12 is recruiting more smaller players just because they're they're playing against different defenses. And so I think a lot of that has to do – everybody wants to look NFL draft and things like that, and I agree. There's not a lot of defensive linemen from the Big 12 going into the NFL, and I think that's a reflection of how the league plays offense. You have to structure your defense to win your league. And then you worry about beating other teams after that. A couple fun nuggets from your time at Baylor. What were some of the players or specific schemes that you guys faced that really gave the coaches fitful nights of sleep? The Everybody should remember the 2012 West Virginia game. I don't, I don't think that I've ever seen a crazier college football game. I, 70, I think it was like 70 to 63. They had uh, Geno Smith and Tavon Austin and Stedman Bailey. It was just, you couldn't do anything right. I'll never forget uh, just coming home on the plane and just everybody there. W- it was the most quiet plane ride I've ever experienced. <laughs> it was a quiet, most quiet bus ride to the plane. I mean, it, nobody talked, I think, uh, for uh, until the next day when we met as a staff. I mean, I think everybody just was like, what just happened? I think offensively, you know, they're sitting there, they had a couple drop balls and, and they like they could have they should have scored eighty. And you know, that that's the thing that I always <laughs> Bryles was hilarious. He didn't care that we had lost it seventy to sixty three. He was mad that we didn't score eighty points. Like we could have scored about four more times he felt like. Um and then that offense, just what Dana Holgerson did with that offense, they ran empty and it just, they challenged us at everything. And it just was with Tavon Austin being able to run around and things. I mean, it just, it was an amazing. And I think there was another receiver they had too that went into the league. And I think he's still playing too. So, I mean, they have four guys that are all playing in the NFL. And I, I, that offense was by far uh, the craziest thing. And that's the craziest experience I've ever been a part of. That game, that game was insane. Are there any others that stand out from that time or uh, maybe Bortles or um, when you guys played? Now that, that was another, that was another game. I think that people, people go and look back at, and I will say probably uh, that's probably one of the few times that we went into a game and we were like, Oh, you know, we might've overlooked somebody. Uh, but then you go back and look at that, their personnel and they've got four or five guys playing in the NFL. They've had more NFL guys on that team than they, we had on our team, the total track game. Um, that was in, a, in another one of those experiences where after the game, you kind of look around and you're like, what just happened? Uh, you know, we made mistakes in that game that we had never made missing open field tackles, not getting the call right. I think even offensively, we made mistakes that were like day one install mistakes. And so I think, you know, uh, anytime we went to Oklahoma State, it, it was like we were cursed. I, I mean, we, we were rolling through everybody in 2013. We go, to, we go to Oklahoma State, and it's just like 
the Bryce Petty falling before we get to the end zone is that is probably yeah. some, some of all of our experience in the like something is cursed about Baylor going to Oklahoma State. I, I mean, it's somebody made a great gif of that where they uh, inserted a little banana peel. And uh, you, you see Petty run towards the goal line, and then he, like, at this one step, there's a banana peel, and then he just, like, just randomly just stumbles. And then right, and they, I, they forced a fumble or something. There was no, you didn't get any points on that drive. No, we didn't get any, we didn't get any points in that. Um, they had our game. Listen, any coach on our staff, we will tell everybody to a T will tell you that somehow they knew what we were doing. I don't know how they did, but they knew it. And it was amazing. Our defensive plan, they knew exactly what we were going to do. Um, they broke pretty much every tendency that they had. I mean, they really treated that game like a Super Bowl, and, and, they, and we didn't. And so what ended up happening is, you know, you ended up getting pounded. And it was just a weird night. Nighttime in Stillwater is not fun at all. Uh, it's a crazy atmosphere. Uh, it's all like a sea of black. It's dark and it's cold, especially when you play later later in the year. And it just was that. Uh, anytime we played TCU was probably the most intense deal. Listening to Gary Patterson and, and kind of banter in the in the media with Bryles was always fun. Um, <laughs> those weeks were always good weeks. I remember that 2013 game. They did a, a quick sideline interview with Mike Gundy before the game, and he looked like he had not slept all week. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't look like necessarily worried or stressed, but he looked dog tired. And I was like, oh, I wonder yeah, what that I, means. And apparently it meant something it was good so for them. Cold. That's probably the coldest I've ever been in my life. I mean, it was so cold. I felt like about halfway through the game, I was still rubbing my feet to get the blood circulating in them. I thought I was going to lose my toes. I mean, it just was, it was a crazy, crazy experience that game. Good stuff. Well, thanks for coming on, Coach A. We'll have to have you come on again sometime and swap some more of these war stories. But uh, that'll wrap up this episode of Expansion Candidate. You can uh, ch- go check out Coach A's uh, website, matchquarters.com. He's, I've learned so much about the Big 12 just from reading him outline how these defenses work and what they're trying to do. And the book, Cautious Aggression, Defending Modern Football, excellent, excellent. Even for its... it's full of it's for coaches partly but it does a great job of explaining for everyone just what is going on in the field what are teams trying to do and how are teams adjusting so i recommend it to anyone that has an interest in football thank you i appreciate that and if you if they if anybody listening is interested they can also follow me on twitter with the handle at the underscore coach underscore a you bet appreciate you coach thank you appreciate it Thank you for listening to the Expansion Candidate Podcast. That's going to do it for this week. You can check out the 12 Focus blog, sportstreatise.com, or you can find me, Ian Boyd, on Twitter at Ian underscore A underscore Boyd. Tune in next time. We'll have more Big 12 experts and high school coaches talk about what's going on in this crazy conference.